What a privilege it is to be with you all today. I uh, listened to the beginning of Brad Bergsfalk's sermon from a few weeks ago, and I said to myself, well, I'm not going to cry at the beginning like Brad did. <laughs> but here we are. As Rick said, I'm a child of Zion. Whenever I share my testimony, I always start actually before my birth with my grandparents. My faith wouldn't be what it is today without those who have gone before me in faith. That's what a weekend like this is for, isn't it? 125 years of faithfulness, not faithfulness of our own, faithfulness of God's expressed through generation after generation who prayed for those who came after You all who have been a part of this church have nurtured me and so many of my peers. We are deeply grateful. And it's such a blessing to me to see some of the young kids and youth up here on the platform today just to know this is a place that still invests in the young people. You have no idea what a gift that is. You don't know what kind of an investment you're making. We'll only know at the end of the story. I was reflecting on all the many memories of this place, and some of my earliest memories of life are in this place. Lifelong friendships formed from before preschool on through. I went to preschool here. I was baptized here before that by Pastor Eldon Johnson. Um, my, uh, my grandfather was choir director at the church for many, many years. Most of you know this story. But just to give you a, a little bit of insight, I was one of those church kids that was around probably more than the pastor wanted us to be around. Uh, and I have lots of memories of running amok around this church, finding all the nooks and crannies and crawling under the pews. The same thing I tell kids in my church today, don't do that, please. <laughs> I was remembering some, some memories, and there's so many formative memories, too many to remember today here. Um, but for some reason, junior high ministry uh, just sticks out in my mind, and Larry Connor. So many uh, crazy, zany, bizarre memories of life with you in junior high. And one of those stuck out as, as a particular moment that imprinted on me. We are having a junior high lock-in, uh, which I don't know who invented lock-ins, but really... That was, not a, that was not the wisest move. But we, were, we had this lock-in. It was the middle of the night, and we were playing this lovely Christian game called Murder. And so <laughs> all the lights were out in the church, and I remember I found a hockey stick down in the basement, and I was walking around in the upstairs hallway, which is kind of creepy anyway, any time of day, right? All the lights out, wondering who was going to jump out around the corner. Memories like these uh, actually endear this place to me. And make this place more than some place that I come to on a Sunday morning. This is life. You all are my family. Even those of you who, who I don't know. Friends, we are all children of Zion in, in some way. And some of you may have just wandered in this morning and not knowing that you were walking into this service. But you too are a child of Zion today. God has led you to this place. And God works through the ministries of this place in powerful ways. I got to admit that when I was a kid, I listened to hundreds of sermons. Some of you have probably heard thousands of sermons in this place. But I, I, I don't remember uh, hardly any of them. But what I do remember is the way that God reached out to me through those words, those pastors, through the words of Scripture, through the prayers that were shared. We always sat three or four rows back here on the right side, so the Landons always were. And I remember one Sunday in particular, Pastor Michael White preaching a sermon, and I don't remember what exactly he was preaching on other than forgiveness and grace, and, and I was in middle school, and, and I didn't fully understand what he was saying, but I remember feeling the weight of, of guilt and shame being lifted off my shoulders. It was, a, it, it was a physical sensation. The way that God works through the foolishness of preaching, 
the faithfulness of Larry and so many others who have nurtured and, 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 and grown us up. God has been at work in this place, and we celebrate that today. There's one memory that I share with a lot of people when I talk about children's ministry, and that is that uh, coming down the, the uh, office hallway here one day, I was walking down the hall, probably middle elementary school, and someone, perhaps one of you even here, said, Hi, Eric. I didn't know the person's name, but I remember just beaming on the outside and the inside, and I had this thought. I said, This is a place where I belong. This is a place where I belong. I think that is perhaps the best thing that we can offer to our children is that they would understand that among the people of God, they have a place where they belong. They belong not only to a church, but to the, to the kingdom of God. They are children not just of Zion Covenant Church, but children of the heavenly Jerusalem, Zion. This is a mile-marking moment for our church, for us as children of Zion. But we could spend all of our time remembering good memories and celebrating good things that have done, even just giving God praise for what he's done. And that would be good. Those are good things to do. But I think that there's some work that we are called to do on a mile-marking occasion like this today. I found myself in the book of Joshua as we were preparing for this Sunday. And, uh, and Joshua seems to suggest that in mile-marking moments of a, of a community season, that there is work to be done. I'm going to be in Joshua chapter 24. If you'd like to turn there with me, you're welcome to. This is the end of the book of Joshua. The people of Israel have, have been in Egypt in slavery. God's led them out of there through the Red Sea and, and then has brought them into the wilderness, brought them up to the edge of the promised land. And then they weren't ready to go. So God took them back into the wilderness and created there in the wilderness a, a people for himself. And finally, the people have come into the land. They've crossed the Jordan River. And they've come into their inheritance. They've conquered the land. God has given it to them. And, and here they are. They've all been divvied up the different portions of the land to each. The promise that was made to Abraham so many hundreds of years ago finally coming true. We finally arrive. This is a mile-marking moment for the children of Israel. And Joshua gathers together all the leaders of the people at Shechem in the heart of the land. If you know the book of Genesis, you may remember Shechem was the place where God appeared to Abram and promised to him that very land, to his ancestors. And here they are living in the fruit of that promise. I can't imagine what their joy must have been like in that place. And there in the, in the heart of the land, in this place of promise, Joshua invites them to make a specific choice, not just to look back and celebrate, but to make a decision, a commitment. And he says, as probably many of us have hanging in our houses, choose for yourselves this day who you will serve. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Now, what's Joshua talking about here? He's serving the Lord is more than just showing up on Sunday morning and serving coffee, although that could be part of it. Uh, serving the Lord is, is more than just a thing that fits in on your calendar. The people of God were gathered in, in the land here, and, and here this word to serve comes. It's the same word that's used of the Levites as they serve in the temple. The ones who prepare all the, the things for sacrifice and, and, and the elements in the temple and the tabernacle, they serve the Lord by preparing these things. But Joshua puts this challenge out not just to the Levites, not just to the pastors, so to speak, but to all the people. Who will you serve, he asks. In, in your daily lives, as you, as you raise families, as you, as you farm, as you build cities, as you, as you do what you do in this ancient world, I don't know what they did, but they did things, right? Whatever you were doing, 
who will you serve? Who will you serve? This is more than just something to put on our to-do list. Check the box, yes, I serve the Lord today. But this is, this is a, a deeper motivation that runs under all that we do. In everything that we do, every word we say, the, the activities that we do, and the moments of stillness and quiet, who are we serving? Are we serving the Lord or are we serving someone else? So first Joshua invites them to look back. And he starts by telling them the story. He says, look back at where you've come from. Joshua said to all the people, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel says. In verse 2. Long ago, your ancestors, including Terah, the father of Abraham and Nahor, lived beyond the Euphrates River. They worshipped other gods. But I took your father Abraham from the land beyond the Euphrates and led him through Canaan and gave him many descendants. I gave him Isaac, and to Isaac I gave Jacob and Esau. I assigned the hill country of Seir to Esau, but Jacob and his family went down to Egypt. Then I sent Moses and Aaron, and I afflicted the Egyptians by what I did there, and I brought you out. Do you notice a common theme here? What's the subject of every one of these sentences? I. I, the Lord. Joshua says, look back at where you've come from and recognize that the reason you've come through all that you've made it through is not because you were so clever or you were so strong or so significant, but it's because what the Lord has done. I, the Lord, was the one who brought you through all of this. And not just through all of this to the promised land. God continues... In verse 11, he says, Then you crossed the Jordan and you came to Jericho. The citizens of Jericho fought against you, as did also the Amorites, Perizzites, Canaanites, Hittites, Girgashites, Hivites, and Jebusites. Yes, there will be a test. But I gave them into your hands. I sent the hornet ahead of you, which drove them out before you, also the two Amorite kings. You did not do it with your own sword and bow. Don't for a second think you did it by your own strength. So I gave you a land on which you did not toil, and I gave you cities which you did not build, the Lord says, and you live in them and you eat from vineyards and olive groves that you did not plant. Joshua says, look back. See all that God has brought you through. Look right around you. Do you see the gift that God has given you, the abundance that you live in, the heritage that you have, the promises that have come true? It's because of what the Lord has done. Joshua invites the people to look back with gratitude. But then he also invites them to look forward. He continues in verse 14 with a challenge for them. Now fear the Lord and serve him with all faithfulness. Throw away the gods your ancestors worshipped beyond the Euphrates River and in Egypt and serve the Lord. But if serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, then choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve. Whether the gods your ancestors served beyond the Euphrates or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you are living... But as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. Look back and see God's faithfulness and his goodness. Give him gratitude for all of that. And then look forward and recognize that for the first time in your history, Joshua says, you have choices. The people of Israel were slaves in Egypt. They couldn't decide who they would serve. They had to serve the Egyptians. But here in the land, surrounded by the, the fulfillment of their promises, they have some decisions to make. Decisions about who they will serve. Will they serve the gods of their ancestors, the gods of Egypt, the gods of the Amorites, the gods of Canaan? Or will they serve the Lord? Joshua, I think, wants them to look down the road a little ways and, and, and see what these choices that we make here might lead to in the future. How did that work out for the Egyptians serving the Egyptian gods? 
Not so well, right? Look at the plagues. How did that work out for the Canaanites who were serving the gods of Baal and and Asherah and, and all of this? Do you see you're living in their land? How has it worked out for you serving the Lord? Has the Lord been good? Has the Lord been faithful? Make a commitment here and now to serve him in the future. Because any other decision you make in this place will lead to a future that, that, that is far less than what God wants for you, will lead even to your own destruction, and really will lead you back into slavery, really back to Egypt, will undo all that God has done in bringing them into this place of promise. The people of Israel are no longer compelled. They have a decision to make. Who will they serve? My friends, we too have a decision to make. We have choices to make. Just because we stand here at 125 years of good ministry in this place, children of Zion, the question comes to us as well. Who will we serve? What are some of our options? There are many gods of the land that we live in, aren't there? Many gods of the society that that we live in. There are are ways and times even in our lives where it seems to make sense to bow down to these things. Now, an aside here. When we talk about idolatry in the Old Testament, it's really easy to look at these people and say, how foolish could you possibly be? Your God just led you through the Red Sea and into this abundance. How could you possibly bow down to this wooden idol, this thing that you've made with your own hands? Well, I'm not quite sure what was in their mind, but whatever it was, it made sense to them. It made sense to them to bow down to those things. And and I I wonder if perhaps they were just hedging their bets. God's led us all this way, they said, but now here we are in this new land, this new place. I want my farm to thrive. I want my my family to to live in abundance. Let's bow down to the gods of fertility. What, What harm could it be? And maybe it'll be a little fun along the way anyway. It didn't cost them much. And so they bowed down to these idols. My friends, I fear that we too do the same thing. Even as we serve the Lord, we bow down to the gods of this land. Several years ago, I, was, uh, I met a woman that was staying in her home. She had opened her home hospitality to me and some of my friends. And we're just getting to know each other. And um, I asked about her family. And she said, well, I, I have one son. He's, he's grown. He's in his uh, late 20s. And uh, I said, well, how's, how's he doing? She said, well, he has a really good job. He bought a big house, and things are, things are going well for him in that sense. But, but he's really in love with money. And, and I kind of chuckled because, you know, it's the getting to know each other. Who divulges that kind of stuff? She said, no, no, I'm, I, I really mean it. He loves money. And she went on to tell me about how, how her son had sacrificed perhaps every other intimate relationship in his life on, on the altar of that God, the altar of money, altar of comfort, the altar of a false sense of security that we seem to, uh, to, to be able to provide for ourselves in our society. What her story revealed to me was that that, that any, serving any other God besides the Lord leaves us back into slavery. We think that those gods are going to serve us. We think it might be for our benefit. We think perhaps, you know, what, what's the harm that could be done? We'll just serve these gods, and, and perhaps it'll kick back in my favor. But the reality is that we are found, find ourselves enmeshed in slavery once again. 
Jesus, in in John chapter 8, he's talking to some of the religious leaders, and he says, the truth will set you free. And they say, what do you mean they'll set us free? We're not slaves. We've never been slaves to anyone. We're children of uh, of Abraham. And he says, oh, you, you don't even realize you are slaves to sin. That's how deceptive the idolatry and slavery of this world is. We can be enslaved and controlled without even realizing it. Now, we could go on on this for a while about success and honor and comfort and all the things that we bow down to in this world as individuals, as families. But I think for us today, the important thing for us to ask is, is, is how might we as a church, who might we serve? What are the choices that lay out in front of us? And can we peer down those roads a little bit? There's three things that people in the church world measure oftentimes when it comes to success and thriving ministry. Three things. They all start with B. Does anybody know what they are? Bucks, dollars, right? How's the bottom line? Bricks, buildings. How, how big are the buildings? And the third one, buns or bodies. That's probably more appropriate. How many people are sitting in the pew on Sunday morning? right? Three things that are really measurable. Three things that are really easy to, when somebody asks you, hey, how's ministry going? You say, well, you know, our Sunday attendance is up, and we have more people engaged in small groups, and and, and all of these things. If we're not careful, those things that are important to measure, don't get me wrong, those things, these things, these standards of success can enslave us. What do I mean? When we start saying, oh, if we just had a few more dollars in this budget line, then we'd really be able to, to, to have a rockin' Sunday morning worship. If, if, we, if we just had a few more dollars over here, then we could really be effective in reaching our neighbors. If we just had more people who were a little more gifted and, and had more free time, right? Sometimes I hear myself saying these things as we talk with our staff. So you see, when you start to bow down to these idols, these standards of success, it starts to put a constriction on our faith. We no longer believe what God can do with nothing. The, 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 the miracle of loaves and fishes, right? Jesus takes five loaves and three fishes and, and, and feeds an abundant crowd of people. We no longer believe in that kind of faith. We say, well, if God would provide the money and the facility and the people, well, then we could really be about the kingdom. We could really succeed in our goals. Friends, these idols sneak in. And they, and they crush our faith. And they bring our vision for what a community of faith can be to something that is far smaller than what it should be. Rick oftentimes says, this is a place where we seek to know Christ and make him known. If you go on your website, you have a beautiful vision statement about what can be. About what life and community and worship and teaching and so on and so forth could be in this place. But unless that is a conscious decision day after day, moment after moment, meeting after meeting, to serve those purposes, to serve the Lord, it's so easy to get back into serving the bricks, the the bucks, the buns. Back to serving our comfort, our personal preferences. We want community on our terms that meets our needs. Friends, that's idolatry. And it hampers the mission of God in this place and in any place. And I fear that it's a cancer in in the church in America today. Children of Zion, we have a rich, rich heritage 
We are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, people who have been faithful from the beginning to the end. And yet that heritage and those witnesses are not a guarantee of future faithfulness. There are choices that lay out in front of us day after day. And in mile marker moments like this one, we need to consider carefully who will we serve? Will we serve these gods or will we serve the Lord? Will we serve ourselves in our our preferences, our desire for what this place would be, or will we serve the Lord our God? And as you dig into scripture, you find out how do you serve the Lord? Jesus says two commandments, the greatest commandments, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, strength, everything you've got, and love your neighbor as yourself. Matthew 25, Jesus tells about the sheep and the goats at the end where God will separate the righteous from from the others and and he'll say to the righteous, enter into the the kingdom that I've prepared for you, the abundance that is here, because when when I was hungry, you fed me. When I was thirsty, you gave me something to drink. When I was a stranger, you welcomed me in. When I, was, when I was sick, you came and took care of me. When I was in prison, you visited me. And they'll say, Lord, when? When did we see you hungry or thirsty or, or a stranger or sick or, or in prison? And the Lord says to them, whenever you did this to the least of these, you did it for me. When you were serving the least of these, you were serving me. Choose this day who you will serve. Will it be the Lord serving in in the name of love, reaching out beyond our walls? Or will it be the idols that we've set up for ourselves? The church that uh, I'm currently serving, um, I was talking to Pastor Rick this morning, and and he, he mentioned that you all have been through the Vitality Pathway recently. The church that I'm serving right now, we are Vitality Path Dropouts. That's right. We didn't make it to the end. Things fell apart in the middle. Good job making it to the end. But in the middle of some of the chaos, there was a pastoral transition, and it was a season of, of, of real, real contraction in the church. All those measures, all the bees were on the decline. And it was a time when people could get pretty discouraged. We had a part-time interim pastor who was there, and one Sunday after a message, he, he felt like, you know, friends, we need to be about more than ourselves. We need to be about serving outside of our walls. We're not doing hardly anything right now. If, if you feel the Spirit is moving you, would you come forward after the service? Let's meet. Let's talk and see what God might be calling us to do. 30 people came forward that morning. It's probably a third of the people who were there for that service. 30 people came forward that morning and came again on the next Saturday when the church discussed and, and tried to figure out what can we do to bless our community. And outside of all of this, the, the Bulldog Breakfast was born. We're right across the street from our local high school. And we've wondered for, for so many years, how can we connect with this, this the community here? 2,000 students. And we're, we're not, we don't have any sort of a relationship here. The church says, well, what if we serve them free food? Seems to work for youth, right? Worked for me when I was here. And so they did. Three years ago, this was, before I was there. Three years ago, they said, let's take this season when we really need to be shoring things up here, when things are not going well by all the earthly standards, and let's step out in faith and take a risk to serve people who aren't going to increase our budget, that's for sure. They're not going to probably show up on Sunday mornings, and they're certainly not going to contribute to a building fund, right? And let's serve them. Maybe we'll reach out to those kids who don't have a a good breakfast at home or or would feel ashamed to eat the free breakfast at school. 
Maybe we'll connect with kids who are lonely and feel isolated and, 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 and are caught in depression and mental illness and they need a place to connect with adults and, and, and peers who care and love. Bulldog breakfast happens every Thursday morning, every late start day. 220 kids this last week. Because a church said, we will not just serve ourselves. We will not just serve the three Bs. We will serve the Lord. And yeah, we're going to try some stuff that's risky. And it may not work. And six months from now, we may say, well, that was a really bad idea. But we're going to at least make a conscious decision that whatever we do here as a church, for the next years, we will serve the Lord. Zion Covenant Church. Let us not think for a moment that the reason that we've made it to 125 years is because somehow we were more clever or more gifted or more committed. What is here is not because of what we have done. Can we look back and see that it's God's faithfulness that has brought us to where we are? And can we look forward and see the decisions that we make here, the commitments that we make here and now, will make a drastic impact in what the next 125 years look like. So look back and look forward and then finally look here. And Joshua says, Will you serve the Lord? And the people answer, Far be it from us to forsake the Lord to serve other gods. It was the Lord himself who brought us up out of Egypt and our parents up out of Egypt from that land of slavery. See, they get it, huh? And the Lord drove out all the nations. We will serve the Lord because he is our God. And what does Joshua say? All right, you were listening. You got it. Let's do this. No, no. Verse 19, Joshua said to the people, you are not able to serve the Lord. He is a holy God. He is a jealous God. He will not forgive your rebellion and your sins. If you forsake the Lord and serve foreign gods, he will turn. He will bring disaster on you. He will make an end to you after he has been good to you. And the people respond again, no, we will serve the Lord. And Joshua says to them, you are witnesses against yourselves that you have chosen to serve the Lord. Yes, we are witnesses, they say. Joshua knows. He was there at the foot of Mount Sinai. He knows that the people, for all their best intents, are not all that faithful. He knew that they would not be able to serve the Lord on their own. And so he asked them a second time and a third time, and what a moment of celebration that the people say together, yes, we will serve the Lord. We will be witnesses to ourselves. We will serve the Lord. The truth is, friends, that we will fail. We will fail. But the good news of the gospel, the good news of the cross of Jesus Christ, is that our God does not fail. And our God knows that we fall short and that our commitment wanes, and we've got good seasons and bad seasons. But he said, I'm going to do for you what you cannot do for yourselves. I'm going to make, once again, a way where there is no way. And I'm going to bring you into the abundance that I have prepared for you. The future of the children of Israel did not depend on their own sincerity, but on the faithfulness of God. Friends, the, church, the, the, faithful, the future of this church and the future of our lives, praise God, depends not on our own efforts, but on God's faithfulness. How do we respond? We respond to that great love that God has poured out on us. We respond by saying, yes, we will serve the Lord. Today we have an opportunity to renew our commitments to God. 
by renewing our baptismal vows. The waters of baptism are a reminder that Christ has cleansed us from our sin. In the waters of baptism, we are united with Jesus Christ, both in his death and his resurrection. We enter into a new habitat in him. It's a reminder of even as God brought his people out of the slavery of Egypt and into new life in the promised land, so we too pass through the waters of baptism and we find new life and freedom from the slavery that holds us back. And so today as we come forward for communion, you're going to have the opportunity to dip your hand in this water, perhaps to remember your baptism and to renew your commitment to say, yes, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And I'm going to ask you some questions here as well. And so I invite you now uh, to stand as you are able and as you are willing to speak with me these words of commitment, renewing the covenant that God has given to us. Friends, do you renounce all the forces of evil, the devil, and all his empty promises? If so, say, I do. Do you confess Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? If so, say, I do. Friends, we have made public confession of our faith. Do we intend to continue in the covenant of God made with us in holy baptism to live among God's faithful people, to hear the word and to share in the Lord's Supper? If so, say, I do with the help of God. I do with the help of God. And do you intend to proclaim the good news of God in Christ through word and deed, to seek Christ and serve him in all people and to strive for justice and peace in all the earth? If so, say, I do, with the help of God. I do, with the help of God. Let us pray together. Eternal Father, when nothing existed but chaos, you swept across those dark waters and you brought forth new life. When you saw your people as slaves in Egypt, you led them to freedom through the sea. In the fullness of time, God, you sent Jesus nurtured in the water of a womb, And he was baptized by John and anointed by your spirit. And he calls his disciples to share in his baptism, the baptism of death and resurrection, and to make disciples of all nations. God, we pray here today that you'd pour out your Holy Spirit. And by this gift of water, that you would call to our memory the grace that you've given us in our baptism. The covenant that you've extended to us, even we who are still slaves to sin in so many ways. God, we pray that as we renew our commitment to you, that you would do what you've promised in our baptism, that you would wash away our sins, clothe us with righteousness increasing every day of our lives, and that dying and rising with Christ, we may share in his final victory. We give all the praise to you, eternal Father, through your Son, Jesus Christ, who with you and the Holy Spirit lives and reigns forever. Amen.